Hey everybody, I'm Kevin. And I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is The Martini Window. With us today, we have writer-filmmaker with such credits as Turner and Hooch, The Flash, and Supergirl. Please introduce Miss Alex Vance. Alex, thank you for coming to the show today. Thanks for having me. Without going into my full history, uh, live and work in British Columbia, greater Vancouver area. Uh, worked in the film industry since 2012. Started out as a production assistant, worked my way up to second assistant director, which is where I worked on Flash and Supergirl. Uh, after the pandemic hit, I decided AD life was not the life for me and uh, went full steam ahead on my writing and more creative career because I've also directed short films and written short films and directed music videos. So then I started wanting to learn more about the creative side. So I was an assistant to producers and directors and writers on Turner and Hooch, Resident Alien, uh, Netflix movie, um, and then another show as well that I'd like to not name. <laughs> as then, <laughs> PTSD. Oh dear, PTSD is so real on many shows. Did that one in particular? Oh, and then yeah, I got my first writing job last summer, working on an animated series in development, Canadian Métis animated or animated historical fiction, which was amazing. Uh, congratulations on that by the way congratulations that's fantastic i know that was uh, my one goal last year was to get paid to write and i did and it was awesome so hell yeah achieving goals yeah that's fantastic we'll talk to you in 20 years assuming the podcast is still going i would be <laughs> way up there oh my god that's really cool and uh alex here actually one of your short films we have a bit of a connection here uh I have a feature coming out. It'll probably be out by the time this uh, episode's out. You directed a short film uh, written by one of my actors starring him with Harrison Hood. If I'm not mistaken, that short film went to Colin. It did. It went. So we applied to uh, Not Short on Talent through Telefilm, and then they curate um, a selection of short films that goes into the market there. So we got to premiere uh, the short. It's called I Dare You at the Cannes Market in 2016, I believe it was there. Yeah. Excellent short film, by the way. Oh, thank you. It it was yeah. my first one. So, you know, obviously. Had... Your first your first short film goes to freaking con. So it's like, <laughs> it's nothing to, nothing to really bulk at, right? I feel like if that's your bottom of the barrel, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> oh, nothing deal. My first film just went to con. No big, no big. Might do some Sundance later, you know, is what it is. That's just my life. <laughs> yeah, it was kind Kevin of crazy. Talk... Kevin will talk to you in a while. You'll be like, no big deal. Having drinks with Scorsese, it's fine. So this is my second film. Second short. Yeah, I'm eating Scorsese already. No, I mean, going to Cannes for the, as a first film festival experience was pretty wild. And that would be, yeah. Got to go. Yeah just right in it that's fantastic now it's funny you mentioned the pandemic earlier the movie that we're talking about today was originally supposed to come out i believe in may 2020 uh yeah. which is the unbelievably powerful film uh promising young woman by emerald fell which is what we're talking about today that movie ended up coming out if i'm not mistaken either late 2020 or early 2021 in the in the end of it all and due to the nature of the industry at the time it managed to get some recognition that probably normally would gotten and ended up getting a best picture nomination over at the oscars that year yeah it, oh, yeah on, I, that. 
I was incredibly happy that you asked for this film just because I found it triggering in the best way while I was watching it just from a pe- uh, like a, a female perspective. Um, mm-hmm. It's just all of the bullshit excuses I've ever heard in life from men who are just nice guys came out in dialogue in this film. Oh. Oh, totally. I, uh... I loved watching it. I, that's... I... Genuinely, I, I genuinely mean that I was triggered in the best way because I was just like, oof, too real. I've actually been particularly excited for this episode because uh, I love crossing young women, but I think that, you know, Elvin in the room, I'm a cisgender guy. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is that I, I've been looking forward to this episode because it's there's a lot of uh, aspects of what Kayla's talking about here. Every excuse she's ever heard from this guy, you know, obviously... I'm not going to have that same experience, right? So it's fascinating for me to actually be able to see a movie like this with perspective of actually being able to talk to both of you. I was very excited for that reason. For a lot of things. One thing I will say is that um, I do love, I was pointing out to Kayla, right from the get-go, right from the first scene in this movie, the casting is impeccable. I love the idea that your very first person you're seeing is Adam Brody, who was like ultimate nice guy of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the casting alone, every guy they have in this is like Christopher Mitz Plants, Adam Brody, Bo Burnham. He's like very... Uh, very safe boy type looks. You know what I mean? For all of this story, your average uh, sexual predator is wearing cocky. <laughs> <laughs> Probably has a startup he wants you to talk about with him. Of course. I know I was reading an article about uh, the movie just in preparation for this, and uh, Emerald Fennell had said that she wanted Bo Burnham when she like realized, like, who should play the character and she pretty much would not accept any other actor which i thought was interesting and also like making sure that all the men that were the nice guys were like had played nice guys in film before and were yeah. recognizable as that because they wanted to show that no it's not just that weinsteins that do this shit it's guys who think they're not doing anything wrong as well so you know and i think that's what i think it's also i think it's also the lies that people tell themselves where they're like, I was just young. It was just a mistake. Like, it almost feels like they're not trying to justify it to the world. They're trying to justify it to themselves. When, like, at the end of the movie, the perpetrator has his friends being like, "You're a good guy. You're a good guy. You didn't have to kill her. You're protecting your future." And you're just like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, like she's dead. You did nothing wrong. You're a good guy. Don't worry. It's like you just fucking killed her." Yeah. <laughs> But the, the extremity of that, I think, is so necessary to kind of get them to show the message across. Because, like, when you got a guy, when you got someone like myself, who is the guy who has not dealt with these sorts of things that a lot of that most women have dealt with, the fact that I can even see the message that they're trying to say based on the casting, the writing, and all that, like, Emerald Fennell just did a remarkable job with this movie. It also helps that, like, all the scenes are so, like, her, the way she shoots everything puts the prime focus, I find, directly in the screen, which is not very common, but I've, she has a lot of center uh, framing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Not very common for a lot of movies like that, but I love how it kind of draw it forces you to pay attention to what the hell's going on. Even when you see like Alfred Molina as the lawyer at the end, like same thing. They're not letting you look at anything else. They put it right in front of him as he's starting to have his meltdown. Mm-hmm. It, it's fascinating. And Emerald, Fen- <clears throat> I mean Emerald Fennel. Uh, I, I really, I really, really loved her directorial choices in this movie, and like just a lot of use of wides, a lot of use of um, of like stark imagery. Uh within the calmness of it all and the music choices added a ton to it i have to say 
Oh yeah, that instrumental version of Toxic, especially when I watched the trailer for the first time, and I probably watched the trailer 20 times because I kept waiting, waiting for this movie to come out because I saw the- I did the same thing. <laughs> it, it just like blew me away. I was like, oh my God, finally. And like, this is something, this is around, like I would love to write a revenge story like this one day. So, yeah. you know, it gave me hope that more stories like this can come out and be that good, you know, and people will watch it. But I was reading. Um, the, oh, go ahead. Um, no, no, no. You go ahead, please. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I was reading um an article from the Hollywood Reporter, just from 2021. But uh, one um Emerald Fennell had said that the film is like a beautifully wrapped piece of candy, except when you put it in your mouth, you realize it's full of poison, and that's kind of what Carrie. I guess had held on to and that was just like a mantra that they had especially like when you look at the visuals like everything is so you know very feminine in like the things that she wears and like all the sets and all the color palette is very like light and like pretty and then you know dealing with such hard topics and um you know violence and all this like just it is exactly that piece of candy that's full of poison I like that. That's a nice analogy for it. And I can definitely see what you're saying. Like, uh, one that I love is just the contrast of imagery. It's, uh, one of the first, it's when you see the title card in the movie, actually, where she's walking away from Adam Brody's place. She's eating, uh, she's eating like a uh, breakfast sandwich or something. And she starts getting cat called. Jelly donut. That moment where, jelly donut. That's what it was. Jelly donut. The jelly, yeah. yeah. The, the jelly dripping down looks like blood. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's what it was. And so, and then she's getting cat called by all those guys. And just, I love how just the contrast of this wide shot holding on her while this, uh, like, car lifter magnet thing right behind her, just trashing metal behind her. And she's in this, like, completely, she wards these guys off by literally just stopping and staring. And I thought that is fascinating because it's like, Carrie Mulligan has to do, like, not so little. She's doing so much in this movie, but on the surface, it seems like so little they need to do where it's the environment of everything that, that Emerald Fennel has kind of sunk you into. You know what I mean? Where you don't need Carrie Mulligan now suddenly freaking out or or trying to throw fists or anything. But, like, she had that cold, dead stare locked until the guys had, like, nothing else to say. And I just, I love the, and I love, that's, and that's the freaking title card. And it's like, all of a sudden you have these slasher movie looking titles coming up with, like, it's raining men playing in the background. It's, like, such a fantastic way. And I can see what you're saying. Like, there's a hyper-pop sentimentality of a lot of this movie. Uh, on the visuals and the music and all that, but right, but literally a centimeter under the surface, it's exactly that poisonous. Like, I, 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 I've never heard that term before, but I do absolutely see what she's saying. The music in this movie, in a different version of the music, would have been a rom com, and I love that the director has definitely utilized her choice of music for what could have been a romantic comedy to show the dark underbelly while having that be the shiny surface that kind of draws people in in a very sinister way. Yeah. Case in point, the uh, stars are blind in the record store. Yes. <laughs> Which I was so happy she brought that song back. My thoughts on Paris Hilton aside, that song is a bop. I love it. Oh, it is. <laughs> I remember being a teenager and personally just loving the gimmick of watching her, um, watching her die in House of Wax. Because I, I love I love slasher movies. I love bad movies. I love watching Reaper the Genetic Opera, where she had the humor to let herself be a spoiled heiress addicted to plastic surgery whose face falls off at the end of the movie. 
that's a lot of humility for yourself and just letting the world perk its fun at you and being confident in yourself that like I can respect that. Yeah, I mean, I, could, I mean, especially that era of Paris Hilton. She also donated a lot of her clothing for the background, like streetwalkers in Rebirth and Genetic Opera, because it was a low budget project and she believed in it. Oh, huh, interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. did not know that. Did not know that at all. Anyway, that's uh, we're not talking about that movie, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch it now. <laughs> you see House of Wax or Repo? I've seen House of Wax House? for sure. I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie like 20 times. I believe Rapo the Genetic Opera for some time had the world record for the most original songs for a musical. It has Giles from Buffy as yeah. a Rapo man who has his organs. Paris Hilton is an heiress addicted to surgery in a Blade Runner sci-fi world where there's a drug for the surgery. And her dad's cut her off and she's basically going to black market grave robbers for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. And it's a musical. And it's a musical. <laughs> I'm just looking at it's the Wikipedia page right now. I'm like, this is everything I need in my life. So uh, yeah. it holds the record for most song, original songs written for a musical. It has like 65 original songs. There is, and it's, and it's full version. There is a song called Thankless Job about with uh, Giles from Buffy puppeteering a dead person to say what he wants while he sings on an operating table. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Looking forward to that for sure. Definitely check that out. However, anyway, plugging Reaper the Genetic yeah. Opera aside. Oh. So there are moments in this movie I noticed at the beginning where um, one thing I've noticed is that she does little moments of fourth wall breaking throughout the movie. Not enough to say that it's actually a fourth wall break, but she does little glances at the camera. Like the first time that she exposes herself to being sober, she kind of glances at the camera first. I've got interested about mm -hmm. that because. As the movie gets more real, I find, as it gets more, as things are kind of like, you know, you find out Ryan was one of the creeps who was with everybody, all that. And once, start, once all that starts happening, I notice all those little winks and nudges towards the camera start starting to kind of go away. Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all noticed that. It's when the tone yeah. gets serious in the movie. Uh -huh. She's like, I'm not messing around anymore. I know you're a creep. You've been found out. I also like that he begs for her forgiveness because he can't get forgiveness from the actual victim. Everyone seems to want her forgiveness because she was the closest person and is still the only person holding them accountable. Yeah, you're out with a lawyer? No, just her as a character. Oh, right. Even Bird Burnham asks for her forgiveness. And everyone who doesn't ask for her, for her, her forgiveness, like, basically tries to justify that they're a good person and it was a slip. Oh. Very interesting. Yeah. They can't actually get, they can't be alleved of their crime by the victim anymore because she killed herself. So this is the closest thing they can get to closure. That was very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the scene with um, Connie Britton. Yeah, she's also, uh, she's been in a fair number of things. Nashville, Friday Night Lights, Dirty John. She's in White Lotus season one. She's in a lot of American Horror Story. I've recognized Connie Britt. Yeah, I've recognized Connie Britt uh, throughout the past. But one thing I really did like about this, Emerald Fennel, so this was, I believe, her first time directing feature, if I'm not mistaken. She was an actor for a fair bit of time before that in the, in the BBC in the UK. And she also, of course, wrote uh, season two of Killing Eve. Um, mm -hmm. She took over for Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And so... That has been something I've been told repeatedly that I need to watch by many friends. Are great. 
<laughs> the first two seasons are great. Emerald Fennel and Phoebe Waller-Bridge did a great job with that. Um, and so what I find interesting is like with this movie, what I love about her directing, she's very much seems to be an actor's director because what I've noticed is that she does a lot of her coverage in one or two setups and like a wide here, a wide there. And she doesn't seem to go over a lot of heavy coverage. And I really like that because there's a lot of aspects to this where you got to see a little about the ticks of the people and the way they go. And, you know, someone like Bo Burnham, who, by the way, really needs to act more. I, I don't like the fact that he seems only popping up in a movie like every six years. <laughs> but uh, Bo Burnham in this like, is a good example of somebody where every kind of time he stumbles over his word or has that nervous tick, that's all part of it. And I love that. And I love that Errol Fennell is not afraid to just let the camera roll in a much more way that we seen like the early 90s, 80s, 70s, and just let the dialogue and the performance kind of speak for itself to bring it forward. I love that. And I don't know if uh, if that's something that was done by choice, done by budget, done by what have you, because they shot digitally, so there's not like they're shooting on film. So it must have been an aesthetic choice, but Emerald Fennell, I just loved how she allowed her direction to just lead its way more to expo to showcasing the dialogue and characters as opposed to watch me be a big director, you know what I mean? Watch me be a flashy director. The dialogue in this movie is exceptional. I, I love the way they write the characters. One of my favorite scenes out of everything is when she spits in his coffee. <laughs> so good. And I love her boss who just keeps heckling him about, like, have you killed any children yet? I'll stop asking him when he stops killing kids. <laughs> I, I want to go back and rewrite my history as a movie. I just have that lady as a boss when I'm dealing with my stuff in my t early 20s. Yeah. So, Alex, you mentioned uh, you're pretty excited to talk about this movie when you, when you brought it up. So I just want to say, like, what when you first saw this movie, like, what was the connection that you kind of had with this? You know, what, what brought it to your head? So, like, I mean, I feel like some of the reasons are obvious, but, like, to you, what connected you so heavily to this movie? Mm -hmm. Well, one, being a survivor definitely was you know okay. a motivation okay. to watch this movie and then yeah. just the the way like the way it was filmed and the way that it portrays is just like it's, it, how do I explain this it's not like it's on the nose but it's so in your face and so accusatory not like maybe not accusatory is the word but it's just you know it, it knows what it is and it's like I'm fucking outing all these nice guys like fuck this shit you know like cause, because yeah Especially assault and um, rape can get so, like, the the boundaries get so blurred because people think that, you know, something that they've done. Like, they said these guys, you know, oh, they had fun or she was drunk or whatever. You know, that's their cop-out. It's such a big cop-out and it makes a lot of women not speak out and talk about what's happened to them because they think that it's their fault or they think that it was normal, which, you know... I've been in many situations where I thought like this was okay and then look back on it like, it was like holy that was fucked up you know so like yeah. oh yeah you know talking or like just showing that these like little things are just as bad it's like what are the conditions or what are what's the terminology for sexual assault you know like there's yeah. so, such a wide spectrum it's not just like you know you got kidnapped and like thrown in the bushes and like got taken advantage of like there's so many there's such a wide spectrum of what assault is. Not not every monster is someone who looks like Michael Myers. That's yeah. that's the thing. It, it's people who are comfortable in society and like know how to mask. And I definitely 
here and I have the same opinion of the film where I don't think it's necessarily accusatory, but it asks uncomfortable questions. And it's uncomfortable questions that people in real life will try and like they'll they'll try and push away with their own rhetoric and their own justifications. So when you're holding up a light to that, it feels very accusatory, even though you're just asking for like, what's the brass tacks about this? What actually happened? And it's such an emotional justification on the perpetrator's side being like, but wait, no, I'm not a monster. And you're like, but you kind of are. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, it was like the whole scene with Christopher Mintz Plass, like that, like that whole thing. I was just like, yes, fucking yes. Like, you know, going through like, what's my name? What do I do? Do you know anything about me? Oh, oh, you wanted to sleep with me when I was drunk. But now that I'm sober, you don't like, oh, and so you are a good guy, you know, like. Like, it's just so cut and dry. Like, holy shit. Yes, it's all wrong. But, like, you know, if you're in the situation, you're in his shoes. It's like, he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. But he but he is. And, like, this is what, like, not getting, I mean, obviously this film is feminist. But, like, not getting too deep in feminism. But, like, men and everyone in the world need to know the spectrum of assault and the spectrum of consent. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of fascinating because, uh, like, you know, we're we're from an we're from we grew up in a bit of a, obviously a different era than uh, a lot of this stuff. Like, I remember I grew up in a smaller town, and I was a teenager. You know, I graduated high school in like 2009, so that was an era where the word feminism was still a very uh, bit of a charged word in some communities. You know what I mean? And it's like I remember being in, and I look at movies like this, and you are right. This movie's a very feminist movie, like rightfully so. Um. I don't see how this movie could have existed in like even 2010 without being labeled like a man hating this, that kind of movie. Right. Like, I don't think people back then, weirdly enough, it, it, I, I talk a lot about nuance with other movies, but this movie is actually kind of the opposite. Like, I don't think you could have had a movie so deftly about this sort of content, even in 2010 without people raising a stink about it. But nowadays we're at a point post me too, obviously. And as you're saying, like post me too, um post you know exposing uh, a lot of what we see in the world now and you know sentimentalities have changed and i think that's probably the only real reason why this movie was able to come out and get the level of attention it rightfully should have gotten you know what i mean mm -hmm. because we've started to kind of move like as a society it seems people have started to and by people i'll, I'll just say i mean men have started to be a little less uh shitty about the term feminism overall and to be clear this isn't to say that it doesn't happen to men, and I definitely want to see a movie that takes that into account and takes the double standard into account. Sure. But that's also a separate movie. We're yeah. specifically talking about this perspective in a movie, and I would ha and I would like love to see that movie because I'd love to see that other perspective of nuance on a situation, you know? Yeah, but I mean, that's exactly kind of what I'm saying, though. It's like, if this was if this came out, like, 10, 12 years ago, you'd be having a horde of people be like, oh, this is man-hating bullshit. Did you guys see She Said with uh, Carrie Mulligan? No, I did not. Yeah. Did you else? I did. So, yeah, so interesting example of kind of to see Carrie Mulligan in kind of two different movies that are kind of speaking to the nature of a lot of this stuff. She Said is a uh, true life film about the people who broke the Weinstein story. Um, and Carrie, it's Carrie, uh, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Keys. Great movie. I have definitely seen the trailers for that. That was one of the movies on my watch list yeah. that got put by the wayside because we had so much on our watch list. Yeah, totally. 
I, I, I more mentioned that from a different perspective because I don't want to exclude people and, and have people think that I'm only inter that we're only interested in this perspective. It's more, that's just a separate movie. What we're discussing right now is this movie. No, but it makes sense. Though, what, what I'm saying is like with what this movie's kind of come out as, these guys, it's actually a perfect example. The guys in this movie are, they are playing the victim because they're getting exposed for things that they are doing in the first place. And that to them is like, you're going to ruin this person's life. I'm a good guy, this, that. So what you have are all these people who have inflicted harm and caused a woman to drive herself to suicide. And, and this is still showing the pathetic nature of how it's like, I'm still the victim in this. You know what I mean? It's like in the 1980s when women entered the workplace full time, suddenly men were like, this is destroying the culture of manhood. And no, it isn't. You still have your job. And by the way, the odds are still in your favor. So shut the hell up. Like, Actually, speaking of that, I believe in one of the very first few scenes, you have a group of guys at a work meeting who are like, oh, but, you know, this lady is working with us on a team. But she doesn't. She can't come to the script club. the The strip club. Shouldn't we be doing this in the office? And they're like, no. Yeah. They're like, oh well, you know, she should focus on her own things and all of the bullshit excuses there. It actually encompasses so much more than yeah. just the the finance bros at the beginning. The finance bros at the beginning. It was it was yeah. very interesting to hear that said on screen. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's. Yeah, I, I, I find just the directness of this movie and just the way it lays out. Errol Fennell is not trying to hide anything, which is funnily enough, the words rape and sexual assault never are actually said in this movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, like, weirdly enough, she gets through the whole thing without actually saying it. Um, It's it's kind of fascinating, because like, I, I know I'm, I'm taking this from a bit of a different perspective, but it's really cool to see that we have movies like this now that are actually able to address these things that people are trying to say aren't a huge issue. Like all these justifications, you can't. What does the dean say? Oh, I can't ruin the life of a young of a young man. I think that was what they said about Brock Turner too. Um, Honestly, when she said that, the un the unsaid script in my head was how much money does his dad donate to your college? <laughs> exactly. See, like that's another thought exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the thing. Like we even had news article years ago with uh celebrities paying to get their kids into college so it's also shining a light on that as well yeah I, I, at least to an extent absolutely um within the subtext at least yeah i find the scene with uh with the dean actually to be very interesting like because you have that scene you have the scene later on with alfred molina as a lawyer and what i find fascinating was to see how the dean herself instead of trying to believe women instead of believing the victims um she completely relents to the exact same problems that the rest of society had with these things because she was self-serving until her daughter was meanwhile you have the lawyer later on and and you couldn't have somebody filled with more remorse than alfred molina that scene and it was kind of really it was really nice to see that they kind of showed both sides of this where it's like you're also going to have women who are uh who are not going to be for the cause that you're going to have you are going to have men who've done horrible things and maybe they actually feel remorse at one point in their life which seemed to be the case with alpha melina like yeah it's not a it's interesting how the movie recognizes that it's not a gender versus gender issue so much as it's an entire systemic issue against women which is how i at least i would say that's accurate mm -hmm. yeah yeah and just uh carrie mulligan Sorry, go on, please. Go on. No, I was going to say, 
the thing that sucks about his character not sucks but like sheds light on the truth is that you know lawyers or law enforcement the rules are set in place that you are doing things that you personally think are ethically wrong or should be righted but literally can't because the system is set to protect these men you know and it's just it's so fucked up it's so fucked up and to see a guy in this situation who's been a part of that whole system and is just sick to his bones, sick to his stomach about it, it's you don't see that a lot in movies. No. And you needed, I think, an actor like Alfred Molina to be able to actually sell that scene and sell that role in such a short amount of time. And what I really liked about that scene was that he remembered her name. And to me, that intones subtly that he remembers every girl's name he's ever done this to. Yeah, I mean, I remember the last name, but he remembers the name. And even, even he welcomes whatever pain he's about to get inflicted on. Like, just that scene of true remorse. And I, I it really, it, you know, I see that. And I just think, comparing that to, like, where the Dean was earlier, or, or freaking Bo Burnham when he gets caught at the end suddenly, where, you know, the, the three metrics of this. Like, Bo Burnham up to this point has been told by this guy. And if he never said those words in that video in his head, he's probably thinking it would have all gone away for him, right? But he just, he said something in the video someone said ryan and now all of a sudden it's just like the the mask has come off and you're just like every other fucker out here where you're trying to get yourself off innocent despite the fact that you were there and you did it you watched this woman get raped you watched her get raped like it's fascinating because like i i do know i'm not going to talk about it i'm not going to bring up anything specifically but like growing up in a smaller town um when i was in high school there were stories about these sorts of things you hear about right you hear about these things about someone getting drunk at a party. And back then, though, the back then when we were growing up, the narrative was still, oh, well, they shouldn't have gotten drunk. That was in like, you know, that was in the 2000s. And for that, I was like, thank God that mentality is starting to go away. <laughs> With the younger oh. generations. Yeah. Depending where you older generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard because, you know, even like, Having grown up with parents who, like, boomer parents, like, I blame myself for a lot of things that happened to me when I was younger. And, you know, but you never, like, and then there's one point I was like, oh my God, like, no, like, it's not just me. Like, I'm not bringing this on myself. Like, these people were bad people, you know? Yeah. People did not have good intentions or have a good heart, even though they may seem like they do. And that's just, and that, um, and again, also sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah. Really, really sorry you had to go through that. It's and uh, they, absolutely that's that's not okay, and it's never okay. No, it's it's yeah. not. Um, I and it's just it's interesting because like it's exactly that mindset this movie plays with about you know how many times I think it was like three four times in the movie they said something about like you know the dean said something about not letting yourself become vulnerable and Madison McPhee talked about not letting yourself get drunk and sleep. You know what I mean? Like. The justifications here are crazy, and you hear this in day to day in day to day life, and how often like we have a judge in Canada just a few years back who had um the uh, the closed light judge he was uh, labeled as because he had that sexual assault case with that girl, and he tried to he tried to go in favor of the uh, assaulter by saying, oh well, if he had you in a sink, why weren't you able to just keep your lights closed? This is in like Alberta four years ago. You know what I mean? That's that's a fucking judge, <laughs> like. And in the last five years. And so, I mean, I, I really love this movie and I, I really do think 
what Emerald Fennel has done here, being able to be so direct and so absolutely clear and unmistakable of what her message and what her commentary is. I think more movies kind of got to have the balls to do this and just say, this is the situation and a lot of you are the problem. Yeah. And even though, like, it's a movie, so it's objectively a fantasy of how someone will want to shed light and deal with the situation. The ending scene of this movie is so gratifying for me. Oh, yeah. With, with the, uh... the last text message, the guy getting arrested at his wedding, everyone actually just being held accountable. The whole dead man switch. The yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, that scene where she, that scene where she's getting suffocated, by the way, by the pillow, that is pretty fascinating. They hold on that shot. They um, have that shot last the exact amount of time it takes for somebody to lose their breasts under a pillow. I looked this up. Uh, Emerald Fennel researched it. It was something like, um, it takes something like 71 seconds or something like that. And so they made sure to have it be exactly that amount of time in that unbroken shot, a pushing shot. That's crazy detail. Yeah. And I just think the effect of that is crazy. That's such a harrowing scene where she's getting uh, smothered by the pillow. I just, I, something about that is just so, the way they did that scene was so not Hollywood to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it was two minutes and 30 seconds long Thank and you. they had to time it. Yeah they, yeah, they had to time it, and then in the article I was reading, apparently in one of the takes, um, Carrie hadn't timed it properly, and, like, she couldn't actually breathe, and when he pulled the oh, shit. up after, like, when they cut, she just, like, started crying, and, like, they had to, like, take a beat, which, because it's, like, already just a very terrifying graphic scene. It's a very terrifying graphic scene in a very intense situation already, too, and it's, like, I'm not an actor, but I my understanding is that um my understanding when I've when I've directed actors and stuff is that they kind of maintain a part of their character in their head as they go. You know what I mean? Like it's not just putting on putting on paint and calling yourself an alien. It's actually inhabiting these characters. So it's like these people are still going through emotional work when they're trying to go through these things. And I you know, Margot Robbie was actually uh was actually one of the producers on this. And I, I did not know that. Yeah, Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. And um what, and, you know, it's kind of crazy to me to think that I was actually a little surprised that she didn't want the role herself, to be honest, of Cassie. I, I actually prefer that it's not Margot Robbie, because purely for the fact that Margot Robbie is beautiful in, like, a model-like way. Like, she could play an Amazonian woman. She does look like the I mean, Hollywood woman. I mean, going to be Barbie. She's, she's going to be Barbie. So I like the fact that they cast someone who is incredibly attractive, but also looks like a real person. I think that's kind of the point of the movie. You don't necessarily want the Margot Robbie. You want someone who looks like someone you would see on the street. I mean, I think Carrie Mulligan's a gorgeous person. She is. I'm not saying she's not. But the way they dressed her in this film, she felt like a real person. And I'm sure if we had a film where somebody dressed Margot Robbie down like, down to that level that would be also an amazing film i mean look at um monsters ball monster sorry monster yes yeah yeah with uh with uh shirley's throng with shirley's throng like you can do a lot to an actor to yeah. put them into this realistic role but i liked that they went with a look in the end that was somebody you would just know yeah it's funny you bring that up because i'm oh, sorry just what no, it's, gone, say. it's funny that it's funny you bring not funny but like it's interesting you bring that up because there was like a scandal 
around uh, the first review that Variety did in January 2021. And they called Carrie Mulligan. I just pulled it up. Um, where is it exactly? Uh, the review said she was not hot enough to pull up this kind of ruse. Oh my god. Oh my god. Just so fucked. Like, oh, oh. I don't even. Wait a minute. I, what? I remember this review. I remember this because Kieran yeah. Mulligan fought back at this dude. And then said, oh, because I don't fit your male gaze. And then he said something like, oh, honey, it's not a male gaze. I'm gay. And thought, thinking that suddenly fixes the fact that he's calling her ugly and shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It just fully feels like everything that the film stands against. Like, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a fantastic uh, example of uh, life imitated art in a way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> yeah you know one thing i thought was fascinating so uh for another episode we've been wa we watched uh enter the void recently for another episode of the show and um one thing i wanted to point out is that promising young woman for a story that for like i bring up she said earlier because it's uh because it's got similar there's a venn diagram of similarities between those two movies um in a sense that all deals with sexual assault is that what i find fascinating though is that after watching it through the void and watching promising a woman just errol fennel's focus on just the aesthetic of this movie. Like you said earlier, a piece of candy wrapped that's full of poison. And I, I can't, and now that you said that, I can't get that out of my head. And it's like, that's exactly true. Like you're watching this thing with the same momentum of like music videos and stuff half the time. But it's like for a story that's such a much more personal, like a much more personal story in this sense versus, uh, you know, she said, which kind of took it a lot more straightforward. And Carrie Mulligan obviously played a lot differently in that movie. And, I just, uh, Emerald Fennell, though, like, I'm glad that she, our first time as a director, managed to create such a vivid aesthetic and feel to the whole movie, right? For something like this, for something that's not like a, like a blockbuster film. It's true. And she, she, in some of her shots, too, like you said earlier, you know, the there wasn't tons of coverage in the film. It didn't seem like there was. She got what she needed in the shots that she planned but I also saw that she was uh, in her third trimester, like pregnant when they were filming. So there was like, really? was a looming like time. Oh yeah, they needed to get it shot by a certain date so that she could go have her baby. But um, going back oh, to like, like, like Carrie Mulligan. No, no, no. Uh, Emerald. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but I forget which scene it is. Is it when she's talking to um, Al in the bed? There's one scene where you're on Carrie's face for most of the conversation with the other person. And she's talking to uh, Ryan in that scene. Was it and Ryan? Okay. Catch yeah, and he's catching her all up. It's the moment he mentioned, um, well, actually, it was when he mentioned uh, uh, Al. It's like, oh, yeah, Al. And so when he says that, that's when the camera starts pushing on Carrie. And you hear the yeah. you hear his side of the conversation, but it's only Cassie's face for the remainder of the conversation. It was, um, they're still dating at this point. Yeah. They're... Yeah, and then after this, she looks at Madison McPhee and all that. I thought it was really interesting. Like, there's a couple instances where she does that, and she just, you don't even see the other side of the conversation. And I just thought that, I mean, obviously it pulls you into her perspective much more, but, you know. I, I think, it does, but like. You know. They did the same with the car. Making. Yeah. It's not. Don't no, not at all. Act to every you know for every line or like even for all the lines like i just i love those kinds of choices in filmmaking oh totally and like people like you and i like we're we we do filmmaking we direct and all that and what's fascinating about 
seeing what she's done is like we're we're basically seeing a level and this is actually in my opinion a little bit more representative of like hollywood and, and a lot of uh movie movies like non-blockbuster movies as a whole right now in the last number well um they're kind of deconstructing a lot of the rules and i've been noticing emerald fennel did this really well and you're right not a lot of coverage you know anytime we're seeing her parents it's usually one dead on shot of them on the couch or something and it's like any conversation is usually two setups and i kind of love this i'm not going to call it minimalist but like minimal coverage approach where it's maximize what's in your shot versus how many times you're shooting it like like uh don't be a peter jackson that takes three days to shoot a scene right i think it's so the way i interpreted interpreted it was that it was the emotional point of the scene the point of the scene wasn't what he was saying specifically in the scene you're talking about with with Bo Burden where he's talking about his friendship with this guy and he's getting married and all of this stuff. Yeah. But the emotional point of the scene is her going from a point where she's like, oh, this is a good guy. Maybe he's different. And then she start, then he starts talking about this monster like he's a good person. Yeah. And you just see her immediately pulling back. There isn't the warning bells every woman feels when you meet someone who you think is nice who starts talking problematically it completely encompasses the emotion that you feel where you're like i might not be safe with this guy right oh huh. mm -hmm. that's very interesting see that's not something i would have caught <laughs> it, and it and it's not a i need to freak out and throw water in his face but as a woman and being part of the situation where if you're too drunk if how are you dressed are you too sloppy are you slurring your words even if it's because you had too much coffee or you just had a painkiller that didn't react well no one cares to ask the details but as soon as you appear inebriated your internal clock says that you need to minimize the damage and get out of the situation in a way that society isn't going to judge you and it's nuts that you even have to think about it like that. But it's this is a normal process in a lot of women's brains. Because so many women have been to a party where people like, oh, you were too drunk, and then they've just moved past it. Oh my god. This is just part of your brain to deal with society. And maybe it's an uncomfortable part of your brain, but I felt that the scene perfectly encapsulated the emotion of going through that scenario with someone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty fascinating. Like, that's not something I would have ever caught, too. This is kind of what I'm saying earlier about this movie seems to have things from the female perspective that I don't think a lot of men would probably understand, myself included. This is one of those times I'll pat off about, right? I mean, she really, she really cuts to a lot of very, very common things in society that we don't really shine the light on the way we should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're social norms. They're socially accepted by people and because it was either how they were raised or the their environment you know you could get in like i could get into all the feminist stuff that i i don't <laughs> i'm sure we don't have the time for but you know like, oh oh we're, we always got the time to talk about feminist women <laughs> oh don't get me started on gender and not gender but you know like um, gender <laughs> norm. There we go. Oh, there we go. Fucking gender norms. See, fucking gender norms. You need to do this. I mean, I don't know what you need to do. This. You need to be manly and 
you need to be feminine and wear dresses and yeah you actually mentioned the style of it and i really love that it's almost like an american pie type feeling where she's wearing that uh the dress with the fruit on it when she yeah. goes out for a first date and it's almost like the americana blonde girl yeah going out for a milkshake with this dark undertone yeah right mm -hmm. No, you're totally right. And then, because that was the one that ends with uh, him trying to get her back into his apartment. Yeah. 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 Which, okay, so do you think in that scene, do you think he was actually in that moment? Do you think he was, his intentions were right? Because he, the moment she showed any, uh, any, res any restraint, he was like, okay, nope, not happening. Like, kind of curious about that. It's a weird scene, or it's a weird, like, if that was in real life and I was on a date and we had happened to walk by the guy's apartment, obviously. Yeah, right. He's intending this from the beginning. So I mean, that part's true, too. Yeah, he, he, he's, you know, there's no accidentally my apartment. That's, you are right about that. So, so, but the fact that he, like, went back and, like, caught himself and was just like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he took it, he took it all back and he was just like, no and then she's just like no it's not you whatever goes away but like you know I, maybe that's like one of the like little seeds to plant that he's not really uh, has the best intentions well I, yeah I think that's definitely the case yeah. I feel like that was, that was definitely supposed to be kind of a foreshadowing almost but his recovery like kind of validates him at the end of that scene because like oh he knows what he did and he's apologizing for it and he's taking accountability for the situation so yeah. but you know it's it's harder for her to deal with and she's kind of like oh too much and then he gets out of there right well i guess at that point too it's also a contextual thing for her as well right mm -hmm. i mean within the scene of plays is she's gone on a date with this guy and she actually genuinely likes him they have fun they have the, a similar sense of humor they're enjoying themselves and then he does the same thing she does when she's targeting people yeah so it's adding a personal context to something that she's completely taken any personality away from she's like these guys are just pathetic and are just doing whatever to get laid but then she has a date with someone and realizes they're a person and there's a lot of layers but they're doing the exact same thing for the people she hates right right okay that makes, a, that makes a lot more sense. It makes it more confusing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Because it's a maybe, am I wrong? Is this a biological urge that a lot of people have that I'm being unfair about? Or yeah, is it just something you can completely impartially look, a, look at as scummy? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. That, that's a fair way to think about that, I think. And, I mean, you're completely dead on, too, because there, there are... Like, she doesn't really allow you to how a firm one stance or another in that scene, I suppose, really. If I'm, I hope I'm interpreting right. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like I can see where both of them are coming from in that, in that their actions like make and sense it, for each of their characters. Totally. Absolutely. And I think he's just trying to shoot his shot. He's not, I don't think he's trying to, be a horrible person but he's like hey she's kind of into it if i don't ask i won't know yeah but and again that kind of feeds into the whole narrative what the ship of movies try to show right like you know exactly. yeah this movie hella layered when you think about it 
<laughs> I could see it from yeah. many perspectives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got a lot going on. Like, I mean, it's kind of funny because I, I thought this movie was going to be something a little different when the first trailers came out. I thought she was going to be killing the guys, to be 100% honest, when the first trailers came out. I prefer this. Yeah, I do too, actually. The whole, uh, once you start doing the whole, you know, killing all the people who are trying to go after, like, as I thought it was going to be, it, even in the first scene, you see the jelly from the jelly donut. So you'd have a moment of like, wait, is that blood? Like, <laughs> and so obviously I think that was partially what Emerald Fennel was hoping to. It was too bad. Sorry? It was like Raspberry Jam Red. I've worked in film too long to be like, that's bad blood effects or jelly. Clearly you've never watched a lot of slasher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I remember watching, well, not a slasher movie, but I remember watching Suspiria on DVD when I was younger. And uh, the red from the blood in that is so popping that I remember on our old CRT TV. You actually start. You actually start seeing the image kind of flicker on the red because of how high it popped. <laughs> More red. Yeah. Coloring. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, Hitchcock just used chocolate because it was all black and white anyway. So. <laughs> that is like when, as a costumer, when people are like we're gonna use either food coloring or chocolate. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna double my budget and get doubles of cl- all of the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can do things to get them out. You can do things to get them out. There's definitely things you can do, but they're usually very time sensitive and they they take a lot of time. So if you need something for the next day, you have to have a double or a triple. (laughs) Depending on how bad they lie on the call sheet. Yeah. And the order is shut it. (laughs) And what I think is, like, I love the fact that, like, this is a thriller movie, but, like, you know, like, she's not killing the guys, but, you know, but she's leaving them questioning themselves, which is psychologically delicious from my point of view. (laughs) I I like that more. It's like, I mean, do they deserve to die? Like, her, you know, her, like, one night, quote unquote, one night stand guys. I don't know, yeah. but, like, she's leaving them all fucked up, which is, like, way better, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I, the bro is people. I, I gotta be honest with you. There's one scene here which, um, the the the, the setting wasn't the same, but one scene here where I kind of self-cringed a bit. It was, uh, one of Christopher Vince Plast, McLovin, had, uh, had Cassie in his place, and he's, like, doing cocaine, and he's talking about the story, and talk about his book that he's doing and all that all that and he's like you know what i'm gonna stop talking you're so beautiful like that whole thing now not not the part about sexually assaulting a woman or trying to but the part where he is like endlessly talking about his book when somebody else is so much not giving a shit about it in that room i've had direct memories of me talking about this amazing script i'm working on when i was like 19 to someone who clearly could not give two shits in the room and so not that I sexually assaulted the person after, but it'd be like, not that I sexually assaulted, but I'd be like rolling the joint, like, yeah, so hey, was in this movie I had, it's gonna be great, because, you know, in the future, it's gonna be like, people guess my movies, they'll be like, yeah, those movies make you think, hey, was, do you smoke weed? <laughs> it was just like that, it's like, to watch the scene, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's hilarious. And I just, I have memories of doing exactly that. All you oh, needed to saw was, so I just graduated film school. <laughs> gonna be the next year. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, don't worry, guys. This TA here went to film school. We should probably just bump him right up, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, 
this is Ashley working at film. Check your ego at the door unless you have daddy or auntie's mummy. Home money. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> De- depending on who you are. Maybe you don't have to. Snapple babies. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, having said that, I've seen nepo babies who are amazing actors like i'm happy to see you on screen you're a great actor <laughs> two things can be true yeah oh yeah i mean two things can absolutely be true i don't think there's any, i don't think this movie had any nepo babies i, no, think, I was thinking about that i don't think it probably did couldn't couldn't find a single baby that was nepoed <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like Ashton Kutcher's you've just been punked, where you just like go up to college, you're like, you've just been nepo here's a bunch of rich kids. <laughs> <laughs> like a tour guide? Oh my god. <laughs> and in the mathematics swing, we have... <laughs> the nephews... <laughs> And this is Mr. Mrs. Visa Card. The heirs to the Visa Card. <laughs> and this is Mr. Mrs. Black and Decker. The heirs to Black and Decker. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, this is uh, this is uh, Junior Trader Jones. Junior Trader Jones, the son of Senior Trader Jones. <laughs> we covered a long line of Trader Jones all the way back to the Renaissance when we were selling people hog swine for less than three pennies on the dollar. I got. I don't even know what the hell that meant. I... <laughs> Why well, was this university we're running? I don't know. I found I have this weird thing where every time I seem to go into another decade, every accent I always do always just comes out as like 1940s New Yorker. <laughs> like no matter what I do, it's like, oh, it takes place in the Renaissance. Oh, wait, yeah, the Renaissance. Oh, yeah, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah, the Renaissance all is like, that's always how my accents seem to come out. <laughs> you sound like you're announcing horse races. <laughs> <laughs> in like the old Roman times. I did want to ask one thing about this movie, and I, I got to be honest with you, I did not have this grasp of this. So she had a book of all the names of guys uh, that she's gone through, right? And she that she's collecting throughout the movie. Uh, was there a significance between the ones that were in black ink and red ink? I think red were the ones that she killed. I don't think she killed people, though. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, too, when I was watching it. Um, I don't know. I think it was maybe like just an art thing, but who knows what was actually intended. It's not clear if she had killed anyone. I don't think she had. I'm assuming she hadn't killed anyone. Okay, so on Reddit, this this guy on Reddit a year ago actually broke it down, apparently. Um, Let's see. Uh, Okay, Dempsey Renson, blah, blah. Okay, so it seems like... um, the red is when, or no, so blue is uh, taking advantage of her being drunk, but not to a point where she's not conscious. Black is trying to assault her when she's passed out, and red is probably everything worse than black because we don't see any red incidents in the movie. Ah, so that probably would be the situation where they like tried to like a like try to fucking attack her or something after, right? That'd be my situation. I don't really, know. That's my thought. Or might have tried to like keep her there and not leave or whatever yeah true my other thought process on this though is that's actually our time <laughs> and uh oh, wow. alex thank you so much for hopping on this is a, a very fascinating movie to talk about i loved it when it came out and i i love being able to talk about it in this uh in this chat here and thank you so much we really appreciate having you on the show alex 
it was a lot of fun and I was happy to I'm happy we talked about this one because I had like a big list and it's like but my main thing I wanted is I wanted to have a female director if that was important and then I was just like this that's fantastic yeah thank you so much for having anything me. this was a lot of fun no problem anything you want to plug before we take off here all right, Alexander, everybody. <laughs> uh, everyone was this. Everyone is listening. You can uh, pick up a copy on Blu-ray of Promising Young Woman or do a Prime Video rental or purchase by going through our links in the description. Fantastic movie, highly recommend. Uh, Alex Vance, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. 